Hello, this is Michael Zuber, and I wanted to thank you for choosing to spend a little time with One Rental at a Time. My life's mission is to help investors close 1 million rental properties. In order to tackle this crazy goal, I will need your help. If you like this episode or any of the content we produce, please share it on social media. If you get one of my books or perhaps one of our 500 cards, please take a selfie and tag One Rental at a Time. Now on with the show. Hey, Mike. Hey, Michael, I heard on the daily financial news that the real estate depression is over. What is all this? Oh, that's amazing, Chad. I, I didn't know you were a follower of the daily financial news. I appreciate it. It's a show I do live at 7.30 a.m., so I appreciate the follow or the, or the listen. But yeah, I think the real estate depression is over. And I, I mean every word of that. I know a lot of people hear real estate depression and their their orientation is always to price uh, because that's just maybe what the, the doomers and crash bros have been telling you is coming. Uh, I have been telling you for well over a year, it's not. Uh, so let's talk about what I, what, what is a real estate depression? Yeah. About what, do you 18... mean, what do you mean by, what do you mean by that? I'm, I'm curious as well. I've heard, I've heard, I've seen it and I've heard it, but I want to, I want to get your take. So my take on a real estate depression is the real estate market, which historically has been about 13% of GDP. American GDP could be tied to the housing market. We all know that the Fed over the last 18 months has gone on a record-setting raise in interest rates, ultimately taking up 525 basis points. What I called 18 months ago and was right, even though I got a lot of hate, was we were going to see between a 40 and 50% collapse, crash, destruction in the housing market. It was and always was going to be transactions, not price. I have a 53-year spreadsheet that is my, it's the thing that tells me what's coming. We've, we've gone over it. We've talked about it. And we have been here before. In the 1980s, we went on a record setting for the time, rate increase of 700 basis points, ultimately peaking out at over 18%. And what people don't realize is the Fed or Powell, which now admits last Wednesday, it's, it's funny to hear Powell say this last week. The Fed does not have the tools to impact home prices. Their tools, I, a.k.a. interest rates, can impact transactions. They can make it less affordable for people to buy and thus transact. Now, when the Fed went on their record-setting increase, they unfortunately broke the housing market. All right, what does that mean? They raised rates so quickly, they created this thing that's now called the lock-in effect, right? I bought when I bought and or refied at 3%. You are not likely to transact or trade and get a 7 or 8%. It just mathematically doesn't work. In fact, banks would tell you no. So the depression, 40% collapse in transactions. We saw mortgage industries collapse with refis and transactions. Ultimately, we have seen the mortgage industry lose about 50% of their employees. We've seen realtors quit in record numbers. We are seeing... Uh, people who rely on transactions like escrow, title, legal, 
collapse. Folks, real estate has been in a depression. It is now coming out. Now, I want people to realize, Chad, that this does not mean we will immediately return to 2020 or 21 levels. We will not. But what I want people to realize is the depression is over. We will be going up from here. I suspect we will be up 10 to 15% in transactions. All this time, prices are flat to up with a couple of unique markets. But yeah, I think, and, and lastly, to kind of bring it home, where real estate has been a negative or a drag on GDP, it will now be a positive contributor to GDP. And once again, this is a rolling recession. Housing, mortgage, depression, it's now growing. We are seeing mortgage brokers, Chad, hire people. I know owners of mortgage companies that haven't hired in almost 24 months. They're hiring now. If that doesn't tell you that we're going to grow from here, I don't know what else does. So, dude, Chad, the depression's over. That's what I mean. This is so interesting to me. And I, I am admittedly somebody who watches your show and is fascinated with economics, but this is not my background. But what, what I'm curious about, maybe I get your take on this too, is you had this big shock event of higher interest rates. It makes things less affordable. It makes mortgages more affordable in particular. It affects one piece of the industry, the number of transactions. It didn't affect the price, as you've talked about a lot on the show, because of supply demand issues. But what, I, what I'm curious about is, I mean, historically, we're, we're, we're at historical lows in transaction volume. Am I right about that? So like they're, they're on a percentage basis. Yeah. I mean, but if you go back to 1981, which is the worst year for affordability ever, we actually only did 2 million transactions. Okay. And, so there's and a, that's existing home sales. What I'm curious about just, you know, I'm thinking about the psychology of all the human beings on the sidelines who haven't been transacting exactly. is, is exactly. what, what, what are people, you know, people's lives still go on, right? Like in a normal real estate market, people, because I buy properties from people, I sell properties to people, people have life events where that you, you get married or you just want to move out of your parents' house or you need to sell your house because you inherited this property. I mean, all these things have still been happening for the last two years, kind of like in the Great Depression of, you know, 2008, the Great Recession of, of 2008, 9, and 10, where even though the economy was broken, people still wanted to buy houses, still wanted to do, so that pent-up demand is what I'm asking about. It's like, what, what, what do you see as some of the pent-up issues or demands that, that we just need to be watching out for if we're investors, yeah. if we're people selling properties. Like what, what, do you, what are some of the things you see could be coming? So this is why housing transactions, never, you, know, you, could take trans, you could take interest rates to 18% and we'd still probably transact two and a half to three million units because there's always reasons why you have to transact. Death, divorce, job transfer, life events, whatever. But let's, let's bring this, let's, let's try to have Libby a little bit of education. So in economics, there's this term called switching costs. You want to move from A to B. If you're moving to B in real estate, you have to, most people sell A and they buy B. And back to my statement that the Fed broke housing. The Fed took up interest rates so high that in such a short time frame that the switching cost has going to prevent a significant amount of people of moving up. The move up buyer is broken and it's a mathematical certainty. So for example, you get approved for a mortgage for a 250K home at 3%. You want to, no, you need to buy a slightly bigger home because your wife's pregnant with twins. 
you need that extra bedroom. You now go to a bank and instead of a 250K home, you want to buy a 350K home. Given rates went from three to let's say eight, there's a chance for a lot of people, Chad, they actually get a no answer from a bank. So in economics speak, they're actually not part of demand because demand's a two-step function. You have to want to or be willing to and and you have to get a yes answer. So there are people that want to sell and move up that fundamentally can't because the banks say no. So they are gone from the equation. They are out of the market. They can't transact because they can't get a yes answer. Um, now they'll come back as wages increase, as rates come down, but that will be time. So we need time for those people. Then there are people that mathematically can get a yes answer, but don't want to, right? I don't want to, I, I had a conversation with Lance Lambert. He's the founder of, of Resi Club. And he's like, I could get, I could buy a bigger house, but I don't want to double my payment. So they're not included in demand. The other thing to think about switching costs is there's the head and the heart. The head is all about numbers. I can't, I won't, whatever. But at some point, there's the heart. It just overrules the head sometimes. That's why in sales, I always say I try to get the heart, not the mind. Right? You, you sell emotionally, but you justify logically. There will be some point in time where we just need to go. Not only was my wife pregnant with two kids, but now the two kids are walking. So having a crib in master bedroom doesn't make sense. Right? Uh, the kids now are going to school. Right, they're no longer little ones. They need to go to a better school. There will be some point in time where the heart takes over and moves forward. So at the end of the day, on the supply side, the move-up buyer, the broken housing market, the only answer is time. Switching costs will increasingly become less naturally over time. And this is what this is what the my 53-year spreadsheet told me. And oh, by the way, go get it. It's free on my website, one rental at a time.com. So I don't know. I think we talked about this before, but let's see if you remember. In 1978, I believe we did almost 4 million existing home sales transactions. We then went on this rapid increase in interest rates with 1981 ultimately becoming the least affordable. So the question for you, Chad, is how long did it take for the market to get back to 4 million transactions? Do you have a wild ass guess? Oh, man. It seems like one of those decade type answers, like, you know, all the way past the, the 87, you know, savings and loan crisis and had to get through. I mean, there was a, there was a bunch of ups and downs in the eighties for my, yeah. for my study right. of it. But so when, right. when was absolutely. it? So early 90s, 94, 94. Okay. You're absolutely right. Great, great intuition. You've definitely studied history, but what I want people to realize is everybody wants us to go back to 6 million transactions today. It took us 14 years to get back to that peak. So if you're measuring peak to peak, it's 14 years, but you could also say we had 14 years of slow growth. And oh, by the way, back to all the crash bros talking about price, price never went down. Didn't go, didn't go down in nominal terms. If you want to adjust for inflation, uh, it did go down with in real terms, but it didn't go down nominally. Our debt is fixed nominally. So that's what we talk about. So at the end of the day, we're years away from getting back to a normal market. But it's also important to say the depression's over. 
because we will build slowly from here. Given this long time frame, there's a couple other things I'm curious to get your take on. You know, one of the the after effects of the Great Recession that was really impactful for a decade was the construction industry being just decimated. You know, when there's no new construction for like five years during the yeah. Great Recession, and so that when an industry is wiped out like that, and, and it takes time to get people to move back into it, I'm curious both with the real estate agent industry, like I don't know all those numbers, but also with the mortgage brokerage industry, how is that an industry that can recover quicker than maybe your building contractors could? And, or is this, you know, with the, with technology changing, changing so fast, do some innovations come in now with the whole real estate agent industry kind of being shaken up and what's different, you know, lawsuits. I'm, I'm just curious how this changes yeah. the game with, with both mortgage brokerage and with uh, real estate agents. Yeah. So we'll do them both. Cause I think the answer to your kind of intuitive nature is, is right. There's, there are two different answers. Uh, I think we're already seeing the mortgage industry grow. It's very early green shoots. Again, a couple of my brokers who I talk to weekly are hiring, which they hadn't done in 18 to 24 months. But again, their industry was decimated. About 50% that were there two years ago aren't there now, which means the ones that survived are just stronger, right? They could get through the death valley, if you will. Now they're going to grow. I suspect they're going to grow um, judiciously intelligently uh, but they're going to grow nonetheless so i think they are stronger coming out of this more profitable uh, i think they'll do more loans per headcount or whatever metrics they follow i think mortgage generally speaking grows cautiously for the next couple of years now realtors brokers nar lawsuit the seemingly never end of net new lawsuits I think the real estate agent industry is in for a fundamental change. And again, change doesn't have to be bad. It could be good. But I think a lot like mortgage, there'll be a lot less licensed brokers or licensed yeah, brokers and agents. Um, there'll be less transactions. Uh, I think all the baristas and OnlyFans agents that came in with easy money, they're going to go back to doing whatever they're doing before. And I think agents... Um, I think the agent industry is in for five years of just change and change is scary. Um, but if you, if you lean into it, I think, I think you are net stronger coming out of it. Um, but yeah, there yeah, is no doubt that it's, there's a lot of change coming. Yeah. There's no fundamental change. And when I hear a lot of the scare tactics about, Oh, the gosh, the commissions are going away. What's going to happen to even this business itself. To me, like the fun, the fundamental value of a real estate agent representing someone who doesn't know the industry that well, who needs somebody to help with the transaction. Like it's a complex transaction that hasn't changed at all. And that's, so that, that value is still there. What I think will just be interesting is what tool belt and what type of agreement, what type of relationship that looks like, you know, with, with both with tech and with just the probably changing pricing strategies yeah. that real, real estate agents are going to have to use. It's, it's not going to be that much different from other consulting businesses where you, you hire, you hire a consultant to, you know, I hire my CPA and I say, Hey, can you do my taxes yeah. for me? And then can you pay, I can pay you by the hour or you have a Maybe he or she has a package like, all right, if you want me to do these taxes and consulting, here's what I'll do. So I, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not, I think it's overblown a little bit that the thing's going to go away, but I, I do think the, the, the people who are good at sales, who are good at adding value, who can figure out, kind of get ahead of the curve on packaging their, their service will be, 
they'll have a, they'll have a head start. They'll have like a you know two or three years, and everybody's throwing their hands up in the air, saying, "What am I supposed to do?" Where they'll really get. I think there'll be some consolidation of the really good agents. Yeah, uh, and then let's let's kind of close on where you and I really care, right? The small and mighty investor to steal uh, your book title. Um, I want those folks to realize that we're now at the bottom of transactions, right? We 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 know who the sellers are. There's probably some motivation there. Uh, now's the time to do the work, get a buy box, what I call it, get focused, network, network, network. And um, also, lastly, create a financing, the stuff that you talk a lot about. This is the time uh, to really add more tools to your tool belt. And you know, both your books really go through that, and I highly recommend them. Um, because there will be some sellers that don't have equity. There will be some sellers who have lots of equity but don't want the tax hit. There will be it's just going to be a lot of would-be sellers that want a little bit of creativity. So I strongly recommend folks skill up, follow folks like yourself, because I think I think the opportunities over the next two to three years could be really good if you do the work and if you structure the deal uh, to be beneficial. Agree 100%. And in fact, as we're recording this, I'm seeing tons of opportunity. I'm helping people, students, members of mine who are just, they're, they're sending letters out, they're talking to sellers. So, you know, there's two, there's two voices we have to listen to. We have to pay attention to the news and the economics and what's happening in the big picture. But then there's just this granular, like I, I, I consider small and mighty investors, just the people on the ground doing the work, like you say, talking to sellers, making offers, almost not, not in ignorance of the bigger picture, but despite what's going on, we're just always doing the work and we're adjusting yeah. and people are doing deals right now. People are buying properties. They don't, they're not listening to the fact that there's a record low, you know, number of transactions. They're just talking to people, solving problems, buying properties. That's, that's what small and mighty investors do one rental at a time. And I, I'm, it makes me optimistic. I love it. That's why I'm passionate about this business, passionate about helping people. And uh, this is a good time to do it as any. Yeah. At the end of the day, folks, if you're going to be a buy and hold investor, small and mighty investor, too many of us think about price where you should think about terms. How can you structure a long-term hold with an appropriate debt structure that brings the greatest chance for long-term cash flow and some future payoff of the balloon payment or fully amortized or whatever it is? It's time to learn. It's time to get excited. We frankly, we don't want a market that's going up six million and, and you know everybody's transacting. I like the slower market. I like finding motivated sellers. I like being creative. And uh, I see a lot of opportunity going forward. Chad, where can people find you and see all the amazing stuff that you do? Yeah, you can find my books, The Small and Mighty Real Estate Investor. It's on Amazon. It's on Bigger Pockets. You can check that out. And then if you like, like listening to podcasts or watching YouTube, just search for Coach Carson. I've got my channel and I have a new episode that comes out every Monday, including interviews I've done with Michael in the past and hopefully another interview sometime soon. So we'll need to, we need to get you on there, Michael. Anytime, brother. Anytime. Thanks, right. family. See you Bye. soon.